today we're going to focus on some stats with a professional. And before you think, oh, this is going to be boring, I'm telling you, this is a good episode and there's a reason behind why I'm bringing this guest on. So stay tuned. You did it. You have found your judgment-free zone, the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for women who want to become reinas of their money and love their dinero more. I am your host, Jen Hemphill, a former extreme frugalist turned reina of your money advocate. Each week, I'm going to help you reign your money like that queen that you are with inspiring interviews and panel discussions from La Comunidad Latina and with solo episodes sharing simple, actionable tips and strategies. Thanks for spending some time with me today. And now let's jump into today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, hola. How is it going? Bienvenida. This is Jen Hempel, your host. Estoy bien contenta que estás aquí conmigo. And today I have invited a researcher and consumer behaviorist to tell us more about the Latinx market. Why should you and I pay attention to this and what does this have to do with our money? Well, she's going to give you that answer. Before she does that, let me share with you a little bit about our guest. Stacy de Armas is vice president of the Hispanic Market Insights and a leader within Nielsen's diversity and inclusion practice. She is a researcher, consumer behaviorist, thought leader, and subject matter expert on the U.S. Hispanic market. Stacy is responsible for researching, uncovering, and sharing insights on the power of the Hispanic consumer with brands, media companies, advocacy groups, and policymakers. Stacy is a first-generation Cubana and lives in Los Angeles with her two children. In this episode, you will hear the lessons learned from her first job at a bank serving a good portion of Hispanics. You'll also hear her role as a consumer behaviorist and why we as consumers should pay attention. She also shares the details of her top findings, those stats that I made reference to in the Latinx community. Lista, you ready? Let's go meet Stacy de Armas. Bienvenida, Stacy de Armas. I am thrilled to have you on the show. I listened to an episode recently where you talked about all these fantastic stats. I love stats about the Latino community. And I wanted to have you on, not just to get to know you, but also learn about these important findings and why they're important. So let's get started with your money story and tell us a little bit about how you grew up, what you saw, what you heard, all that good stuff. My money story. Well, so I'm a first-generation Latina. My my father grew up in Cuba, as did um, his sisters and my grandparents. So when my dad came to the United States in his teens, obviously there the family was, you know, as many, many families do, are sort of starting over. And so uh, money was very tight. My dad's family, he worked almost immediately when he came um, to the U.S. And he, I remember him telling us he worked, he was a, a janitor in a hospital and he had some just, you know, dad stories about things that occurred there. But he worked very, very young uh, to help, you know, contribute to his family. And that's something I think we often hear about, but it, it's, you know, not knowing the language and sort of being thrust into the culture was really interesting for him. So he worked at this hospital. He helped contribute to the family and money was tight uh, very early on. But he also learned that his parents allowed him to keep a large portion of that uh, so that he could sort of build his own 
uh, Little Empire. And I think his first major purchase was a car. It was like an old Mustang. Um, and that that actually carries through to who he is today, right? He's very, he's a uh, car guy, an old car aficionado, also sort of falls into that sort of Cuban stereotype, right? He has a 1956 Chevy. He has a 66 Chevelle. He has all these old cars that he hand restores. Um, but that was his first major purchase. So it was a really big part of, you know, his American story and his his financial story, right? Build saving and enough money to, to get something that he ended up keeping, you know, many, many years long past him marrying my mom. So when he ultimately, you know, met my mom, my mom um, also didn't have, didn't come from a family of a lot of wealth. And so as they were building, you know, their, their life and their wealth together, it was very much that American story where they kind of had nothing and were, you know, really struggling, got married young, uh, had me about two years after that. And as I was growing up, the memories I remember was, of course, being in our in our first home. But my parents often talk about how much that how important that was. And, and my dad working, you know, multiple jobs to save enough money to buy their first home. That was like, you know, that was it. Like once they did that, they were just set. And my grandfather, my Cuban grandfather, uh, you know, real estate is just that was his the way that he saw how to make it in the United States. He didn't you know, not having a good command of, of the language and the skills that he had in Cuba, not really being transferable here in the U.S. at the time, just because, you know, he was in the, the military as a police officer there and didn't really, you know, ha- having having left, it was very complex, as you can imagine at the time, him not wanting to be part of, of what was unfolding. So that's not really transferable here. You can't just walk in and say, oh, I'm in law enforcement. You know, I can't. It was a uh, was difficult, and and they had some small businesses. So the way that he really sought to build his wealth here was through real estate, and uh, he impresses that upon me still today. If we were to call him now, that would be the third thing he would say, which is, you know, you know, have you got do you have more property yet? Have you do you have any more property? Are we let's talk about property? So that was instilled in me very young from both my grandfather and my parents. I remember this, you know, this first home purchase that my parents had, and then of course you know, the subsequent purchases and that really being the way that my parents built their wealth. I will say though, because they had very, you know, limited experience, things like investing and, you know, outside of, you know, sort of standard real estate was really not, you know, not practiced or well understood in in my home. Everything was really centered in real estate. And obviously, you know, for many people, certainly just in the, in the last, you know, uh, 10 or 15 years, you can see how that, you know, may not always be the best. So, my personal story is as I growing up, I understood that I needed to build wealth. We didn't always know how to do that. Uh, I certainly didn't. And then as I mentioned to you, one of the first jobs I had in college was at a bank. I started working for a bank and uh, I was put in kind of uh, in this area where I, I, I didn't necessarily grow up, but it was close to home and it was a, a largely very, very Hispanic area. And I quickly went from being you know, sort of a, a teller to working on the floor, helping people understand the resources that the bank had and how we could bridge the gap for them. And that was all, sort of my second step in better understanding, you know, wealth building and um, all the opportunities there were in the financial world. I was worked at Bank of America and I quickly sort of moved out on the floor and I served as like the conduit between people, you know, the bank, and I'm saying that with air quotes, right? And, and the community. It was in Pomona, uh, largely serving you know, immigrant community, uh, a lot of undocumented people that had, you know, wealth were trying to build wealth were or or needed simple services, but really didn't understand, you know, our financial system or or trust it, frankly, from some of the countries that they had come from. They had had 
bad experiences or had a lack of understanding of uh, of our systems. And so that was a really neat opportunity for me because as a young, you know, 21, I I needed to learn things in a new way so that I could really make it make sense. And, you know, I was fortunate enough at the time to have a role that wasn't focused on uh, on numbers and uh, in quotas, right? My job was really more information. And so that was a, a tremendous benefit, you know, to me personally, morally, and to the people I worked with. I was able to match them with, with products and services that made sense for them and, and help them have trust and understanding of, uh, you know, that their money would be there for them. Right. And I'm seeing, so it feels like, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, as I'm listening to you speak and listening about your story, you are currently a researcher. You're also a consumer behaviorist. Do you feel that that experience at the bank, being a conduit in between, you know, for the community in between the, as you mentioned, the quote unquote bank and the community, did that serve or did that impact you into what you're doing today? Because this is in a sense what you're doing, but with different groups, right? So you're do you feel that's that was an impact? That's so interesting, Jen. I suppose it did. Uh, and I almost feeling like a bit of a rush of emotion because I, I don't know that I've ever directly linked it. I always think about my jobs after that, where I, I went to work at an ad agency and I focused on, on Spanish language, you know, communications there. I worked with the, the markets that I worked in and the, and the brands I worked with. I did, you know, Hispanic advertising, radio and, and television at the time and cable. And, and then, you know, I, I moved along that path, but I, I, and I always sort of, if you've heard me speak before, I always sort of, that's like the beginning of my story of my career. I always start with that. But, I suppose, I mean, totally, right? These three years that I spent doing something totally different. I, before that, I was waiting tables. I was, a, as many people do, and, you know, from, from high school to the, my first year in college, um, I was waiting tables. And then I got this job at the bank and it was like nothing I'd ever done. I, you know, I'd never, I mean, I'd had, you know, uh, communications. Obviously, I, I spoke Spanish in different places that I'd worked and with different people and in my life, but um, not in this way. Like this is what I did every day. Like I, I almost never, there was just no English to be spoken. It was just that, you know, we were at where we were and in, in, I was in El Monte and in Pomona. And that's just, that was the communities that we were serving. And I loved it. And I guess that's probably when I built this sort of different kind of empathy thing, I think too, like, okay, we need to do like, no, you don't want that. That's going to be $16 a month. You, you know, yes, your friends are telling you, you need that checking account without direct deposit. You don't need it. Like, this is what we need to do. That's going to be better for you. And I really felt um, sort of a sense of obligation also, right? Like I need to uh, help build this bridge that my parents and my grandparents were so fortunate to have built for them through their community. And so I suppose, so I, I think this is like a major breakthrough. You're totally right. It's just, I am also seeing you currently, those listening can't see her right now, but we're on, on a video chat. But I also hear the energy and the passion that came through. And one thing that you also mentioned that at your, in your role at the bank, it wasn't about the quotas or things like that, but it was more about the information, which is what you gather. And I'm like, I have a feeling <laughs> I'm always looking for the link too. I'm always listening for that because I, I strongly feel there's something in your story that link, you know, definitely uh, shifts or changes the direction or impacts the direction into what you're doing today. So I appreciate sh you sharing that story. Now, let's get into your job as a researcher, as a consumer behaviorist. First, let's start with what is a consumer behaviorist for those listening? So my, it, it's a lot of things, but I think what's most important is um, I have the opportunity to 
look through to analyze lots of different sets of data, not only from Nielsen, but also from, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and from ACS and from Census and, and other sources and take that data along with the economic and behavior research that Nielsen does, because people don't often know that Nielsen does that. I think they think of Nielsen and think of television ratings or radio ratings, and they don't, you know, understand that we have also social and economic and behavioral research. So I take all of this data and I analyze it and I look through it throughout the year for, and, and also based on what's happening in the world for trends and things that help me understand not just what has happened, but what will happen. Uh, and I look specifically on consumer behavior. So things like purchasing habits, consumption behaviors, attitudes. Uh, I use several different sets of our data as benchmarks, and then I compare that with third-party external data. And I, the idea is to help brands, marketers, advocacy groups, and academia understand the trends that we see in consumer behavior and what's next, right? It's a little bit of being a futurist too, sort of what's next. I'm not quite an economist, but uh, that certainly helps brands better understand how they build their outreach, how they can do it authentically, which kind of ties back to the, you know, not necessarily... I mean, you got to have a quota and I know things need to move, but you also need to have authentic dialogue and connections. So it helps them build those. And it also helps them, you know, with product development, product placement, programming for, you know, networks and media companies. So if we understand where people are socially, economically, behaviorally, and we look at where they're going and sort of where they've come from, we can make better projections on uh, what we should do, whatever arena, whether you're in again, faith-based organization, whatever you're doing, right? How you can better serve those communities. And that hopefully will result in, you know, that either revenue or, or whatever it is that you're looking for at the end. Right. I love that. And so you share this data with those companies, those agencies, brands, media companies, academia. So for the person, because we're going to get into some really interesting stats. So for the person that's listening to this podcast at this very moment, why should they care, especially if they're not a brand or a media company or anyone that may use these stats? They should care because it is, you know, we, we need to know our power in order to affect change, right? I mean, you, your dollar, I think oftentimes we think, well, I'm just one person, like they're not going to care if they lose my business. Um, but collectively, we're a very powerful community. I focus on the U.S. Hispanic community. I also do some work in other multicultural segments, but that's my area of expertise. And, um, you know, I think collectively, if we understand our power uh, and what we represent to brands and marketers and to our to our neighbors, you know, to the coffee place that we patronize um, to one another, to businesses, we can uh, we can better align ourselves around what's important for our community and move together. Right. We we all research. It's funny. It's it's become something that was at one point like, oh, you know, even the word like I'm going to do some research. It, it had sort of a very different connotation than what it does now. We all research every day, right? Every time you go to purchase something, you want to do a quick Google search. You want to go to Yelp and see what people have said about the restaurant or the nail place or the car, you know, the auto body place you want to go to. So we all do research. And because it has become more and more part of our day-to-day lives in fact-checking, right? truth is incredibly important these days, um, that you know, the work that I do, I feel like it's very important because we want people to understand the community economically and socially so that they can make good decisions on how to reach and target us. And we want to know our power. Love it. Love it. Now let's get into some of your findings. 
So there were a few findings that you had sent to me. And then, of course, if we have time, I'd love to get into some others that you feel are uh, very important to talk about. And the first one that you shared with me is that, and you you may correct some of these numbers, but that nearly 20% of Hispanic households that are headed by Latinas as single parents, where we make every financial decision in the home. So talk to me about that. That was actually a really a, a fantastic finding. And that came out of our uh, Latina 2.0 story. And by the way, for, for those that are listening, when we say this data, you know, it's available, I can go to Nielsen's website, Nielsen forward slash Latinos or forward slash Latinx, however you would like to identify. And we have a, you know, a, a significant number of reports there on different topics that you can download uh, completely for free. So this data we're talking about came from our Latina 2.0 story. And that particular report really took a deep dive into the power Latinas have uh, in their community, with their families. And one thing we wanted to better understand is their purchasing power as influences and influencers in their households. And so as you said, that number is nearly 20%. This data, by the way, is from census and their one-year public use data. And we sort of, you know, pulled it apart. We wanted to understand the Hispanic household makeup, and then that would help us understand how decisions are being made. In total households, about 13%, this is total, so every one of which uh, Latinos uh, are included, 13% of total households are um, households made up by a single female parent. Uh, For non-Hispanic households, it's about 9%. But when you look at just Hispanic households, single Latina, single female parents make up 18%, or as I said, nearly 20% of all of Hispanic households. And that's significant, right? Especially when you say, okay, non-Hispanic white is 9%, Latina is 18%. So we're, you know, it's double. So that means that in nearly 20% of Hispanic households in the U.S., because that's a breakout of all Hispanic households, 20% are Latina parent-led, 20% of those, every single decision being made in that household is made by a Latina, right? Every financial decision, every major automotive purchasing decision and if, if you think about, you know, traditional marketing, there are still a lot of, um, you know, barriers and lines. It's getting a lot better. But into how products are marketed, uh, even to families, things like financial products are actually a, a perfect example, right? In the past, they've often been marketed uh, toward men or, or where there's, you know, decisions are being made, maybe familial, uh, market, marketed sort of more familially. But uh, is that a word? Familiarmente? I don't know. Market. It works. We're, we're going to make up words today. Um, <laughs> but marketed sort of more toward the family, but really with the decision making, you know, very much feeling like it's being made by the male in the family. So this is a really important finding, you know, in particular, Latinas. So I, I think we could all agree Latinas are really um, not just making decisions in the 20% of the households, which she leads uh, on her own with her children, but probably large, you know, in the large majority of the households. And that's because Latinas are, are you know, she, she is her community and her family's CEO. She is the chief economical officer, the chief organizer, the chief efficiency officer, the chief everything officer of her family and her household. And we see this actually play out when you look at some of the social behavior data of uh, Latinos and Latinas. And that helps us understand why Latinas end up not only leading and being a mate, partaking largely in these conversations, but in many households leading these decisions. Love it. And me, the financial person, I want to chime in on this just because single parenting, it's not easy. I'm I'm not a single parent, but I get a little bit of a taste when my husband deploys when he's gone as as an active duty military member 
but it's a ton of responsibility. So it's really important to take control of your money. It's a must. And granted, you may be thinking this is overwhelming enough, but get some help. It's okay to reach out and get some help. There's podcasts, there's blogs, there's so many things, there's groups, there's a lot of opportunity for you to get help, especially if you're a single mom at this very moment. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. You're wanting, you're here listening, so hey, I applaud you. But just make sure that if you feel overwhelmed and trying to take that control of your money, reach out for help. It's completely okay. I, I, like, I am a, a single Latina parent. I am part of that nearly 20% that makes every single decision in my home. And I am coming up upon making an automotive decision. My son is turning 16 in a few weeks. And so I'm going to give him my car. Uh, which I think is like amazing. Nobody ever gave me just a car. <laughs> I'm like, you should be so grateful. And I'm I'm looking at, you know, what's I'm making a really smart decision for my next car, understanding, well, I may have, you know, my, I have my daughter coming and will the car give to my son go to my daughter. And I mean, that's, you know, it's a, it's a relatively smaller decision. We're not talking about, you know, major investments here, but, you know, in my household, every decision I make that has anything to do, I mean, you know, everything from, not just, you know, automotive, but certainly, you know, insurance, vacation planning, investing, college, you know, all of those things are, are made by me. And there are so many resources for us, but largely, as certainly, you know, for speaking for myself as first generation, a lot of those systems aren't in place from my parents. You know, they, they grew and they, and it was a very different time when they grew financially than it is today. So I, uh, you know, it's one of the things I actually talk to financial institutions about often when they come to me and they want to understand the financial behaviors and attitudes that Latinos or Latinas have about around uh, money and saving and, and digital wallets and all of those things. Uh, one of the things we talk about is that there is a gap, right? There is a, this really, Latinos are using these services and, and they're very, very interested, but there isn't really sort of that educational component is missing. And I don't mean hardcore, like educational and finance classes, you know, how do I do this? But really, even just when it comes to a product or a service going on and wanting to learn about a new service, but then there being a, a dialogue that is supportive of education without being like a class per se, because there is that gap in our community, right? My non-Hispanic white friends have resources and friends. I remember not even knowing, I, I'm, I'm sure we all have this time. But I remember um, it was prior to my time working at the bank, and I'm going to reveal myself a little bit here. So I hope it's not too embarrassing. I was in high school or college, not, not understanding the word like mortgage, you know, like, what does that mean? What is mortgage? And, and like, the, what does the word even mean? Like, I don't understand. I'm paying the bank money. They loaned me to buy this. But, but what does mortgage mean about? I mean, just, there was just so basic things that I'm sure my parents understood, but also you know, because of, uh, of our culture, those things are all very private, right? I just read, uh, I just pulled a statistic before, before we talked and uh, sharing, you know, Latinos skew financially conservative more than any other group. And when we say that, we mean not just conservative in, in spend, but in attitudes and in privacy. And a lot of that has to do with the constructs from the countries that we've come from. Yes. And, and that's not embarrassing because I see that. I mean, there's stuff I didn't know, but I was fortunate that my dad and being an, my dad's American. So I was born in Colombia. My dad's American and he was able to teach me these things. 
uh, or uh, some simple things that were super helpful. And I had this conversation just recently with a listener and first generation Latina. And to your point where she, because of the podcast and she's, and because of other things that she's really uh, motivated to get her financial life together. She's in college, law student. she's has student loans. And so she's wanting to help her parents or, or and t- having those money conversations, which I absolutely, of course, I, I lit up when she's telling me having those conversations. And so she was talking about, well, how are you be- have you been saving? And yeah, we've got, you know, all this, you know, a good amount of money saved. So where is it? Oh, it's just in the savings account in the bank instead of being invested, right? So those conversations. So to your point in terms of as well as education or resources, the CFPB, this Consumer Federal Protection Bureau, and I can show uh, link it in the show notes, has a ton of resources in Espanol. So for those of you that have uh, La Familia that maybe doesn't speak Spanish, that might be a good resource for you because I know they work really hard to make sure those resources are available in Spanish. And I guess I'm blessed really now that I think about it too, for that time I worked at the bank because that's where I learned a lot of those things. I learned, I mean, I was working directly with people. People were coming to me and I like, I had to know. And so I had a, a wonderful manager there. Her name was Ana Gonzalez and she just, you know, worked with me and saw something in me and so that I was equipped to really be this, you know, but I had a lot, a, a lot of room, you know, that I needed to grow. So I'm, I'm blessed for that opportunity because it, you know, it, it frankly gave me uh, so much more than, than I at the time was getting um, from my parents. I will say that times are so different now too. Like my dad was fortunate enough to work for somewhere where he had a pension and he had, you know, and so now his retirement savings looks very different than in his retirement situation than what mine will look like. I'm saving for myself and investing for myself where he has uh, you know, pension and he has, you know, his, he has healthcare and he has all of these things. He was, you know, part of a union and has had these opportunities and, and benefits that I have to build and grow for myself. And so those are things, you know, those aren't things he can necessarily advise me on because that's not, hasn't been his experience either. So there is, you know, a lot of room and I, your podcast is such a wonderful resource for not only Latinas, but in just people who don't want to be embarrassed that they don't know a certain thing and just really get some basics and be able to link to some resources where there are much more than basics, right? Where you can get some detailed uh, budgeting and planning information. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now let's talk about, you had another stat about households being traditional, of course, and the Latinos, there's also multi-general households and how still the Latinas, tell me about that uh, stat there about the single Latinas and married homes in terms of decision-making. One of the things that's really fascinating about Latino households is we are multi-generational more so than any other group. But what that means is that under one roof, right, you have, we have 27% of Latino households are multi-generational compared to about 16% for non-Hispanic white. And actually we are looking at, we should have some new data, hopefully by the time this, this podcast comes out, I'm looking for it by the end of the week and what the new numbers are for multi-generational households. But that means, you know, under one roof, you have all the way from, you know, abuelita all the way to, to the youngest child. And not only are we sharing um, our, our consumption behaviors and our language and our culture, um, but also traditions and attitudes around money and finance. So um, also because our, our homes are larger, that means our shopping and spending looks different, right? I mean, when you have a multi-generational household, you have products that are coming into the home that are a much broader variety than a single generational household. 
but that means you have more contributions also to spending and what spending looks like in any particular household. Hispanic households, 46% have children under the age of 18 compared to just 23% non-Hispanic households. So we have more children, they're larger, and that, that really influences you know, how we spend and how we think about money because money is spent differently in households that are larger. And also I, I would add, you know, the, there are cultural, um, cultural pillars in our community and, and traditions that mean that we have, you know, uh, more family gatherings and events, which require also a different level of spend when it comes to grocery and club store and things like that. We detail a lot of that in our, the report that we uh, just put out in September. That report is called La Oportunidad Latinx, and that goes really deep in detail into spending by categories and how it's different for our homes and households than uh, a non-Hispanic white household. I'm going to have to get that. (laughs) I would definitely be fascinated. That's amazing. Now, let's talk about college. Okay. Uh, Because I think this is definitely an important topic and the stat on Latinos entering college. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, and this is actually, you know, pretty fascinating. When, when it comes to educational aspirations, so we took a, a look at, well, Latinos are tops. Let me just say that first. But um, in 2016, college enrollment rate for white non-Hispanic was 70%, right? For Latino graduates in 2016, the number was 72%. And for Latinas, it was 74%. So that is to say that Upon high school graduation, 74% of Latinas were enrolled in college the October after graduation. That's a remarkable number when you compare to total is 69%, white is 70, and for all Latinos is 72, and for Latinas is 74. So hopefully those numbers kind of make sense. I I should uh, get you a graphic for that. But Latinos just surpass in college enrollment and in aspiration and in hope, right, In, in this American dream. I think what we do have to recognize, though, is that journey looks a little bit different for Latinos than it does, you know, for their non-Hispanic white peers. There is so much data, Jen, out there about the challenges that our community faces. Um, but there's also a lot of hopeful data like this, where we, there's a gap that needs to be closed, but the aspiration and the drive is there. So as I said, that journey looks a little bit different. Uh, Latinos tend to start at two-year colleges. And the graduation rate is, you know, a, it's longer than a four or six year journey. And sometimes it is an impacted rate, right? There are, there are challenges along the way. Many of those challenges are financial challenges. That's why I think it's so great that we're, we're talking about that. We know that uh, two-year colleges are, are less expensive to get started, but uh, along the way, the expense still builds up and students still build debt. And there is uh, definitely an opportunity to provide more access, resources, and support systems. Part of what we talked about earlier, Jen, was that, you know, at least in my personal money story, I didn't have the systems and processes in place to really understand how to build wealth, right? So I, thankfully, I had the opportunity working at the bank. I learned more. But for many, because our, we come from we're first generation or immigrant families, uh, you know, those systems aren't necessarily in place. So we struggle to build financial wealth. The same thing can be said of education, right? The aspiration is still there. I mean, Latinos are, are still working and contributing, but building wealth tends to be a challenge because there's a gap in understanding how to do those things or what the opportunities are. The same thing is true for education. There's a gap in resources, uh, in um, 
and in really understanding how the U.S. educational system sometimes works or can work to your benefit, right? Starting in a two-year college, transferring. Students are often doing that for themselves. I am one of those students. I applied to college, like just kind of on my own because it sounded like a great idea. And my parents were very helpful and very encouraging, but, you know, neither of them had had that experience either. And so, you know, we build these pathways, but we have the opportunity now, I think, to ensure that the Latinos that come after us don't have to build those pathways, but they can build off of the structures that we have learned from. And in addition, to add on to what you say, it's also the financial education system, but also the financial aid system. Because I remember back in college, I I majored myself back in the 1990s. And I've been been in the States for a long time. My dad's American. So I had a little edge on that. So I knew he had student loans. But when I went to to college or before and and entering, upon entering college, I just heard, I just saw the words financial aid. To me, financial aid, if to me, it was like money, like giving money, like help, aid, not loans. So for a recent immigrant or a first generation student that may not have that information that is not aware and have an understanding of the system in the US, that's a challenge in itself. So I just, we really need to really empower ourselves, educate ourselves. But I think on our side, on our end. But I think on the end of the educational system or the college institutions, I feel like they can do more to meet where the, the students are at, right? And, and better, they're, you know. they're, they are doing better. There's those money centers, or uh, I don't know if they're called money centers, and I should know this uh, terminology, but they're getting better. But I think there's still more work that needs to be done, especially when it comes to Latinos or even just other immigrants. They don't have to be Latinos. But typically, I think, (laughs) maybe incorrect, when you think of non-U.S. students, they're coming, like they're exchange, not exchange students, but but they're studying abroad. Right, right. I don't know the the stats on that. But yeah, I think we need to meet with them where they're at more. Educational attainment is certainly a cultural pillar more so than it ever has been, right? It's something our parents want us to do. It's something we want to do. Latinos are younger. You know, one of the pieces of data we we hadn't talked about is the median age for Latinos in the U.S. is 28 compared to non-Hispanic white, which is 53. So, I mean, that is a remarkable difference. We are, are, and at at 28, you know, if you think of that's the median age, right? So there are, are, the Latino community is the youngest community, minority community in the U.S., so we are in those years of educational acquisition, and there are more of us that are in, in that space. So, you know, the, the need is so great for our community to um, have access and understanding to that, to, you know, when I say the educational system, I feel like that sounds um, like I'm talking about, well, you know, you go to school and, and that's, that's not what I mean. It's all the intricacies that oftentimes, you know, our, our white non-Hispanic peers know, right? They, they know the, the importance of an internship or where to go get one or who they can resource for that. Or, you know, there's, uh, you know, someone's, I often say, well, someone's golf friend who knows someone who, like that, that wasn't my personal experience. And I'm, 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 you know, very happy for my friends that had those experiences, but I didn't have that or those opportunities. So I had to try and build them. Um, but I do think there are great opportunities for our community once those resources really connect in a meaningful way to our community who has all of this, you know, these aspirations. Absolutely. And nowadays, it didn't exist when I was going to college. But nowadays, we actually uh, have one working with my oldest, who's 
a junior in high school, I'm still swallowing that fact, but where there are people that uh, have businesses where they're quote unquote college counselors who help you. Jen, I went to a meeting like that last night with my almost 16 year old, but it is so, but it's so expensive. I mean, if we're being honest and fair, this is, you know, this is a very, it's a very expensive undertaking for a college counselor. And I feel like, you know, they didn't have that uh, for me either, but there needs to be uh, access, free access to that information at least the basics that are outside of these, you know, seminars or personal, you know, especially right now in in this, the age of, of, you know, sort of, of scandals and, uh, you know, college count scandals and all, all of this, I, I, you know, there really needs to be some transparency and, and how those systems work and, and the advantages that many of our Latino students are, you know, eligible for, or could leverage, but just don't know how. Right. But I I can introduce you to the lady because I'll introduce you. But the point with me saying that 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 is available. But if you listening, if that is your interest and you have a, you know, understand recent immigrants, first generation students, that would be such a phenomenal niche. Just saying, just putting it out there. And if you already do that, please send me a message. For sure. I want to know. <laughs> That's a great point. What an opportunity, right? In sort of building that uh, Latino U College Access does something something like that. I, I've worked with them and they are on, on the East Coast. Um, but that's, you know, not unlike what we're talking about, which is a very, um, you know, a sort of um, access to to information and uh, and, you know, how to close that gap. Yes, I love it. Well, Stacy, this has been such a phenomenal conversation. I am so glad that you joined us, shared all this information because it's really important for us to know. So thank you so much for what you're doing and for representing us and being a leader in the role that you have. Thank you. And thank you for really driving deep in the beginning so I could kind of understand where my, where those true beginnings really were. I appreciate that. I hadn't quite thought about that. So thank you for that. No problem. What did you think about this conversation? We did dive into her money story, which I definitely found interesting. And I also wanted to make sure you got some insight into the findings she shared today and you learned why that is important. You can connect more with Stacy on Instagram, Stacy de Armas, and I'll have that link in today's show notes. Now, if you are seeking some personalized help with your finances that goes beyond telling you to save more and spend less, because remember, I do help people with their finances. I can help you. Make sure you apply for coaching over at jenhempill.com forward slash apply. Next week, we get to meet Michelle Jackson. Next week is also my first attempt to do these interviews with a different perspective. Now, we typically focus on the money story, which we are continuing to do, but the perspective will be different in the sense that we're going to dive or I am wanting to dive into these money stories and exploring the intersection of race, the intersection of uh, sexuality, your, your, your sexual preference, the intersection, those different things that we don't tend to talk about in terms of money. So next week, we will be meeting her, and this will be a perspective from the Black American female, and she's fantastic. Now, I do want to, the reason I want to do this is, one, for selfish reasons. I am just curious. I am very 
curious and want to learn more. But I also think it's important to be aware, not just for the understanding portion, but for us to be better allies for these different subgroups of communities that have maybe some struggles, right? So I wanted to make sure that incorporate those episodes. I'm attempting to do it once a month uh, with different people. So it may be a Latina, it may not be a Latina, but I really want to make sure that I integrate this because if I know you like I think I do, you're like me. And, And if you're like me, you are definitely very interested in bettering yourself and learning more. So I hope you are up for it because that will be next week. And again, it'll be just, I'm attempting to do one episode a month of these type of stories. Now that is it. Eso es todo. I want to thank Stacy for joining us. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy scale to join us and choose this show over so many other podcasts. You can check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 222 or 222. And I also want to remind you to claim your reina crown. You don't have to wait that confidence. You can start having that confidence now because the choice is in your hand and becoming the reign of your money can start right now. So you've got this. Tu puedes. I'm sending you abrazos through this mic. I hope you're welcoming them. Also, make sure to share with us when you listen to this episode by taking a screenshot or a selfie and tag us on your Instagram stories with at herdineromatters and the hashtag with the same name. So nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.